Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.scbts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. greet you in the name of Christ, our Lord, who's the head of the church. And I can't believe it's been 10 years since I've been here for the inauguration and installation of Dr. Aiken. I thank him so much for this invitation. Um, I just can't say enough how happy I am to have men around who you can um, respect the whole man, the Christian, the husband, the father, the preacher, the leader. And I thank the Lord so much for our friendship. It was a joy working for him when he was the vice president at Southern. And uh, when he came to Southeastern, it was a uh, moment of decision for my wife and me. Uh, we almost uh, flew the coop like Brother Finn and his wife when <laughs> Dr. Aiken came to Southeastern. Uh, but I was a presidential scholar, which assumed you had certain loyalties to the president, and so I remain, praise the Lord. I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 17 as Jesus is praying before his passion. <clears throat> and I'm just trying to steal my um, steal my emotions for a minute. Uh, my family, particularly on my grandfather's side, originates from Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and uh, recently his last sister passed. And um, had I been anywhere near Rocky Mount preaching, she would have been here. And so. Uh, I never preach in North Carolina without my Aunt Lugenia in the house. And so this is an interesting time to be so close to Rocky Mount. And uh, I want to go to John 17, but it is so nice to see the lovely Amy Whitfield and her husband Keith and the Finns and good friends from Louisville. And Dr. Purcell, his wife, was my daughter's early teacher at in elementary school and so it's always a joy to see him and think of precious memories we have. I feel loose and I want to say I feel loose because I come here in a spirit of affirmation. Jesus prays in John 17 for the unity of his people, his disciples. And I get to share with many brothers and sisters <clears throat> concerning the body of Christ, concerning unity, concerning multi-ethnicity, multi-ethnic congregations, all those types of things. And I find myself often kind of trying to provoke people, trying to convict people, trying to do a variety of things from the Word of God. But it's so f refreshing and liberating to come somewhere and come in a spirit of affirmation 
Uh, you are well familiar with Dr. Aiken's vision of kingdom diversity and his understanding of the gospel and how those things are essential to the church being a vessel that the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased to use and fill with his spirit. And so I'm so excited to just look through this prayer and highlight some things for us this morning that would push us forward in the things that we're doing, things that are happening here at Southeastern, and then push us forward even as you are a light and a reflection and a challenge for so many other places. And before we read, I will say just one more thing based upon the announcement earlier. I would urge you to consider praying about that summer opportunity in San Diego. If you've grown up in the South or in the Midwest, um, you're just kind of used to churches being around. You kind of use whether they're good or bad. You're just used to churches being around. And it's interesting to preach in California, Colorado, some of these types of places. And, and you ride around with your host, and at some point you say, like, where are the churches? And they say, there are none. And so uh, if, you ha- if you have uh, interest in going where the gospel has not been named, Paul, Paul said, I like to go where the gospel has not been named, uh, certainly the Northwest, the West Coast, the Northeast, all those types of places, I want to urge you uh, to uh, ask the Lord if those opportunities would be the ones that he is laying before you. Let me read from John chapter 17. <clears throat> I'll tightly focus on two verses, but I want to read the entire chapter to give you the breath. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me before they, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Then he crosses over the Kidron Valley and is betrayed by Judas. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, his words, his actions ought to move us. If we say Jesus is Lord, his words, his actions ought to move us. As we look through the narrative of the gospel and head towards the passion as Jesus will lay down his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it is amazing to have this glimpse into Jesus praying to the Father. And it is amazing to be able to feel the weight of this prayer. Our youngest are 9 and 12, and we still kind of have a... Um, children's kind of prayer time when we pray at night and then I pray for them before they go to bed and, and, and looking at this I always tell them I say now this is not a now you lay now Lord now lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep I always tell them this is not that kind of prayer the Lord is pleading to the Father the Lord is at the moment for which he come to die for the sin of the world and I find it amazing to look into this prayer. And then I find it more amazing to be able to focus on the things that he says in this prayer. And I want to urge you to feel the weight of it, feel the burden of it. One thing we do well, I guess we do it well, in 
in modern Bible-believing Christian life, or you might say evangelical life, is we think well, we understand things well, we, we, we diagnose things well. Uh, we, 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 are, we are very cognitive, and sometimes I wonder how emotive we are. And actually, a lot of our actions are motivated by emotion as well as understanding. Um, my passion, not just my mind, my passion was working a few Thursday nights ago when Florida State came to Louisville and we were playing the number two team in the country and 58,000 people were packed into the stadium and no one sat down. I mean, it, my mind was working, but my mind wasn't the only thing that was working. My passions and emotions were working as well. And I wonder sometimes when you talk about unity among God's people, when you talk about the work that is necessary for the body of Christ to come together, every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation, I wonder sometimes if God's people are even motivated with the passion to pursue those types of things. If you read Acts chapter 1 through 10, Unity among diverse people, Jew and Gentile, even those who are filled by the Holy Spirit freshly after the day of Pentecost, freshly after the filling of the Spirit in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house among the Gentiles, it still takes work. You still have to figure out this thing between the Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows in chapter 6. You still have to, fig you still have, to have a church meeting in Acts chapter 15 and figure out how, we gonna, how, how are we going to be together. And I think we should understand properly from Paul saying, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Ephesians chapter 4. Evangelical, we, we are outstanding at obeying epistles and obeying didactic teaching. But I want to offer something else today. I, I just want to offer like the emotional burden and weight that we should feel as we observe the Lord agonizing in prayer. So it's nice to have our thoughts moved, and I also think we get energized when our passions are moved. When our passions are moved. Let's just kind of tightly look in at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's looking beyond the present assembly of disciples and also considering the disciples that will come unto him based upon the ministry and the message and the work of those present that present assembly of disciples. And so if that's the burden that Jesus has in a time of prayer, then I certainly, as a pastor in a congregation... I certainly, as a believer in a congregation, want to make sure that I am mindful of the present assembly of disciples that is gathered in my community group or my local congregation. But I also want to make sure that I'm mindful of looking beyond the present assembly of disciples. 
I mean, in a moment of burning, in a moment of heading towards his passion, in a moment that is a critical moment, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. But I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their message. At this time of burden, he's looking beyond the present disciples. At this time of burden, he declares how essential the message is about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, I know people that look beyond the congregation, but they're kind of cloudy about what the message is supposed to be. He said, this message is that which will cause them to believe on me, so therefore the message is about him. A message that does not exalt him, a message that does not declare the essential necessity of him, a message that does not declare the exclusive work of him, is not a message that will point men and women who are beyond the assembly of disciples to him. People sometimes say, what's the most essential thing or what do you think the church has to really contend for? I, I, I rarely think that has ever changed. It's always the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. We're so impressed with pluralism and postmodernity. The only people impressed with that are people who've never read the Bible and never took a history class. It's nothing new. God's people have always had to be faithful to the true and living God in the midst of contenders, idols, and white fakes and wannabes. And then after the New Testament, God's people have always had to be faithful to the exclusive message of Jesus Christ in the presence of fakes and wannabes and pluralism and all that type of interfaith yaya. Father, I'm not just looking at these present disciples here among me. I'm praying for those also who will come because of their message. And he prays that all of them may be one. I can't feel the burden of this prayer without feeling a burden of there must be unity among the different kinds of people that Jesus Christ is calling unto himself. And I want to push you to feel this because it must have the same type of energy that we put into other things as Bible-believing Christians. And the energy we put into other things is good energy. Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith. And I have a lot of friends will put energy into contending for the faith. I will put energy into contending for the faith. I don't get all hyped up about everything, but I get hyped up when people call themselves Christians and they kind of limp noodle on the exclusivity of Christ. And I get hyped up when people call themselves Christians and they kind of limp noodle on the Trinity. So we should contend and we should put good energy into it. And as evangelicals, I think in a general and very much broadly, we understand personal holiness. And we, contend, we, we understand the sweat of pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so take heed unto yourself and your doctrine. We do that well. 
but earnestly contend. Contend for the faith is the same kind of sweaty, pressing word that you would think of. of, uh, uh, I mean, earnestly endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit is the same kind of sweaty, pressing action that you would think of with contending for the faith or pressing toward the mark. Don't stop pressing toward the mark. Don't stop contending for the faith, but also earnestly endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Put energy into doctrine, put energy into personal holiness, but put energy into the unity of the body. Energy. Intentionality. Do those things. He says further, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The basis for understanding that unity, the basis for understanding unity amidst diversity, the basis for understanding difference and yet unified function and purpose and goal, the basis for understanding everything we need to understand about people working together as the body of Christ out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation is rooted in our understanding of the Trinity. The unity that God's diverse people will have is rooted in an understanding of the Trinity. He says there that all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's why touchy-feely, good, nice guys with no theology really can't do it right. Because touchy-feely, good stuff only takes you so far. When the stuff gets tough and the stuff gets tight and the stuff gets confusing, you need to remember the Trinity. When, when, when the stuff gets tight and the stuff gets confusing, we need to remember the nature of the triune God as we press on towards the unity that Jesus prays for, that we might be one. I mean, the diversity within the Trinity tells us that unity is not the same as uniformity. I mean, I was excited to come here just to be somewhere different. I'm in a very nice situation today. I teach at a cufflink seminary. <laughs> so I preached a few weeks ago in our chapel and I did not look like this. I mean, I have this jacket on because I figured my president sometime might check out the live stream. So I at least wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> but we do have to work on celebrating and understanding that unity is not uniformity. I think one of the strongest things that is undercutting Christian commitments to unity right now is our lack of the ability to say different is different. Sometimes we just have this default gear that says different is not as good or different is bad or difference is we, we, anything other than just different is different I mean we worship the Lord today I enjoyed singing and lifting up the Lord in praise but I mean 
two guitar, three guitars and drums is different than like a Hammond B3 organ and a black Baptist church and the drums and a bass. Church I preach at is mostly white, and I have to, like, teach people how to clap. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. It's just different. I mean, this might help some of y'all. It's easy if you just kind of clue into the drum set and don't really think about it, because by the time you say clap, the clap is gone. You can't. It's not cognitive. You just got to kind of feel the drum set. Is that bad? That's different. I don't know how we expect to achieve what the apostles were pressing for in the book of Acts with the emergence of the church after the day of Pentecost if we can't just get to the point where different that is lined up with the Bible is just different. It's not qualitatively better or worse. It is different. I like the distinctions. I like the characteristics. I like cufflinks. I like casual. I, I like when you, you go preach the Southwest and you get a hat. I like cowboy hats. I like it all. Because it's just different. I don't like that church. It's too loud. Find you a quiet church. But don't criticize the loud church. I don't like that church. This service is two hours. I like a one-hour service. Don't go to that church, but don't criticize their two-hour services. Some people like a two-hour service. We're not in a rush. <laughs> different is different. Some people say, man, I, don't, I understand what you're saying from the scriptures, brother, but, I mean, you, you're just so in your face. Okay, don't come hear me every Sunday. Go to I ain't in your face, Baptist church. <laughs> but I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just doing something different than you want. Different is just different. And we understand that, and the root for understanding that is in the Trinity. The Father chooses in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. The Son takes on humiliation, as Paul describes it in Philippians 2, and takes on himself the, the, the form of a servant and becomes obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The Spirit is sent by the Son to fill the church on the day of Pentecost. That is so important that the Son says, don't even leave Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. Different functions, total, perfect unity. If we will think in a more Trinitarian format, we will be enhanced in our abilities to pursue the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the last thing that I know resonates here at Southeastern, I think maybe it, I could be wrong. If it wasn't the first, it was a, this is one of our first seminaries that have a great commission center. And Jesus says in the 20th first verse, may they also be one, may they also be in us. Why? Why? In order that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm in Kentucky. 
so I get to talk to good old boys. I imagine there's good old boys in North Carolina, but I just don't know North Carolina like I know Kentucky. There's good old boys in Kentucky. I just get a pass with them because I ride a Harley and I wear an SEC hat. And they have honest questions about unity and diversity and differences and all those kind of things. And I always say, you know why you gotta you you know you know why you need to understand this, brother? Because you're the same brother that will stand up at one of our association meetings or one of our state convention meetings, and you will plead about the Great Commission with tears in your eyes. My brother, you, you are evangelistic. You want people to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and be changed. And you must understand that the lack of unity or the lack of oneness, the lack of unity, I, I don't like the word oneness, the lack of unity among God's people undercuts our missiological intentions. Jesus says in his prayer Lord, as Father, as they are one, it will give a demonstration and the evidence that the world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. As powerful as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to be, as powerful as we proclaim the working of the Holy Spirit to be in regeneration and sanctification. As strong as we say in some of our churches, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. As long as the outside world can look in at the believing church and see racism or classism or sexism or sectionalism or any other isms, it undercuts our message of who Jesus is and what he's done. It just undercuts. And so I have friends. They don't understand some of the things I want to do. Certainly I have friends that didn't understand when I left a very comfortable, nice situation in a traditionally historic black Baptist congregation and went to a 60-year-old congregation that has historically been mostly white and wants to look like the New Testament, wants to look like Louisville, wants to look like the nations. Why would you do that, man? Because I'm, I'm tired of the church's testimony being undercut by what people see when they look into our churches. America has a history with black and white, but there's a whole lot of divisions that we see in Christianity that undercut our testimony. People say, oh, well, there shouldn't be black churches and white churches. You know, there's other divisions, too. I mean, you can go to certain towns and, you know, this is the rich church, this is the poor church, this is the middle class church. This is the church that the lawyers and the doctors go to. This is the church that the farmers and the mechanics go to. I mean, we have all kind of things that kind of like divide God's people in ways that don't give evidence of that Pentecostal unifying work of the Spirit that we see in the book of Acts. What Paul is pleading for in Ephesians when he talks about bringing down the middle wall of partition. It won't look the same everywhere. 
I, I just want to give some emotion. I just want to give some passion. I just want to give some burden to Paul's command to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. And I want to suggest that you find the burden and the passion in Jesus' prayer to his Father before he is betrayed. I mean, the timing of this prayer, the passion of this prayer... I mean, coming out of 14, 15, 16, John doesn't give the same kind of description of Jesus' prayer that, that the synoptics do as far as his agony and his passion and Gethsemane. But I promise you, heading up to his passion, this is not a casual prayer. This is something that is vital to the mission. This is something vital to the testimony. This is something in verse 20 that is vital for the effectiveness of the ability to reach those who shall believe on the message of the gospel through those present assembled disciples. So my brothers and sisters, the structure is in place. Kingdom diversity initiative of the president of this institution. The understanding is in place. The New Testament scholars on this faculty, the Old Testament scholars on this faculty, the systematic theologians on this faculty, the understanding of how we should pursue biblical unity is in place. I just want to lay some passion on top of that. And just ask you to gather that passion from the amazing ability to look in to our Lord praying to his Father. I pray that the Lord would use and continue to use Southeastern in a wonderful way. I pray for your president constantly. I don't think we have more than about 20 men in SBC life, they can, like, get old guys and young guys in a room together. And your president is one of those guys. I stayed in the Johnny Hunt house last night. He's one of those guys. And that's vital to us going forward. And so I want to lay some passion on you, some burden on you. We are the followers of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ prayed for before he suffered. So I can't look at the arrest and not remember this prayer. I can't look at his betrayal and not remember this prayer. I can't look at the trial and not remember this prayer. I, I can't look at his crucifixion and not remember this prayer. I cannot look at his glorious resurrection and not remember this prayer. And although all of us don't do the liturgical calendar, and this is not a big deal in all of our churches, I can't look at the day of Pentecost and not remember this prayer. And so as much as contending for the faith is on my brain every day, as much as personal holiness is on my brain every day, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is on my brain 
in my heart every day. I'm happy to know people that are different than I am. I want to meet more people who are different than me. And I want to do it in a way that will bring glory to who Jesus is. And the last little illustration I have is um, as things get tighter in our culture, I think we will be assisted by God's sovereign hand in coming together. Because remember, the purpose of the unity is so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ whom the Father has sent. And you're going to find that when the heat gets hot, the people that will stand with you on the gospel message, you're going to find that their skin color ain't always like yours. You're going to find that they don't always live in the same neighborhood that you live in. And it has nothing to do with our earthly divisions. I know well-off people who are faithful to the gospel. And I know well-off Christians that are cultural Christians and they are wimping out and they are exposing that they are not committed to Christ. I know black preachers and white preachers that are faithful to the gospel and will stand on the word. And I know white and black preachers that are weenies. Spiritually, emotionally, and in their character. And they wouldn't stand on anything. Just weenies. Wouldn't protect their wife from their neighbor trying to come in and grab her. They're just weenies. And so they certainly would not stand for the exclusivity of Jesus Christ in a pluralistic culture that is pushing for marginalization. And so as we exalt the Savior, we're we getting some help in the effort of unity. Because we need brothers and sisters to stand together. And the people that stand with you, you don't care how they look. You don't care what neighborhood they live in. Just that we are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for this seminary community. I want to pray for your president. And just ask God to continue to use us in a wonderful way. Father, thank you so much for Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and Dr. Aiken and his godly-inspired, biblically-inspired kingdom diversity leadership. Bless these students in this time of preparation that they might gather the burden and the passion of the things that Jesus prayed for and the things that Jesus taught. When the Scripture says Jesus agonized in prayer, Lord, let that move us. When the Son of God calls out to his Father in prayer, Lord, let that move us. So help us to have gospel heads and gospel hearts. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. 
Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.